Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We have been talking about the word no. Would you say the word no? This series is a series that was uh, birthed in my spirit as something that I really felt had to happen in myself and also in the congregation. One thing I noticed in the traveling around this last uh, trip is that all over the world, in every nation I've touched, and also the pastors from a number of nations that I talked with in Australia in both the conferences there I spoke at, the leadership days, Uh, It's the same pressure that you feel everywhere. People are very aware, number one, of the whole global economy. It's on everybody's mind. People are asking questions about it. People are experiencing things with the mortgage downturn, also with the bank shut, and then other things going on with gasoline and oil and wars and rumors of wars and nations and governments. And and so the whole global economy is a discussion from uh, every person from the business community to the young people to the educators to the medical community uh, to the church community. What in the world's going on with the global economy? Then you have people that are a little alarmed about the global warming and the weather changes and all the stuff going on in the nations with the hurricanes and, and the uh, famines and some of the nations right now are just unbelievably in a horrible situation when it comes to their uh, food and famine. And we also have uh, some very funny things going on in America uh, with some of our crop failures and some of our economy and the mortgage and etc. And so there can be a lot of pressure that comes on a person's mind and spirit about the economy and the, and the warming and the food and the nations and the governments and the future and what about gasoline, what about cars, what about education, what about banks and what about, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. That's not even taken into consideration things about disease and sickness and uh, all the stuff that's going on with uh, that underneath with the crime and the violence and the breakdown of the family and and marriages and same-sex marriages and homosexuality and what California just did, what Oregon is just now doing again. And so you look at the whole moral scene and you get a little bit of a kind of a a twist in your spirit and say, wow, things have just changed so much and they are so different than they've ever been in the economical, in the medical, the technological, in the moral, in the philosophical, in the educational. Uh, There's just so many changes going on. How does a person live in the midst of all these changes? And that's why I wanted to do this series is to... uh, actually bring every person to a place of saying no to things that will actually move into your mind and spirit and change the way you think, change the way you feel, maybe on a false premise. That you actually begin to think according to a worldview or a false presence or a false philosophical view are facts that are not really facts. And you start assimilating all that the news says and the newspaper and the people you work with and the banks and the economical community and and the foretellers and the forecasters. And you start taking everything into your life. Before you know it, you start thinking like a person who does not believe there's a God. 
you start thinking like a person who doesn't really believe the Bible is different than the way the world runs. And so you can have a spirit of what? Worry. And you start getting anxious about everything. And you start having the same concerns and the same doubts and the same worries that the world is having right now. You don't bring up answers. You don't bring up solutions. You bring up worry. You bring up doubt. You bring up anxiety. And of course, we have fear. Fear for ourselves, fear for our kids, fear for the future. And then fear can start kind of crowding in where there's fear. The Bible says there's torment. So we know that fear never treats your mind right, your emotions. Fear is a bad thing. Fear about yourself, fear about your health, fear about your future, fear about losing your home, fear about losing your job, fear about losing your business, fear about having no future, fear about never owning a home, never buying a decent car, fear that money will never be the same again. I mean, there's all kinds of fears floating around our world right now. And so I want to just bring our spirit kind of to a place of rest, hopefully. I can pastorally and as the series been going on and encourage you to draw a line. Now let's look at this word. No, again, this is what we're saying. We're actually saying no to those things that would crowd into our spirit. We've looked at worry and doubt and fear and wrong thinking. And this morning we're going to look at uh, one more area, uh, maybe two more areas in this series. But here's the word that we're working on. No is a word that expresses a definite choice. You have a choice. You can live with fear, worry, and doubt. Nurture them, grow them, water them, plant them, have fruit from them in your life, and live that way for the rest of your life. You have a choice. You have a choice to be a person who is riddled with vain imaginations, a person who actually nurtures fear, a person who actually practices anxiety until you have anxiety strongholds, phobias, dysfunctionalities. You can be a person that grows in your spirit these wrong things because our culture is very good at this and they have grown people who have mature fruit in the area of worry and doubt and anxiety and phobias and fears and wrong thinking and vanities and vexations and isolation and withdrawal and can't deal with and don't talk with men and anger at the world, just an anger that comes on people. They don't even know why they're so angry. They're angry because they can't control anything. Angry because they can't fix anything. Angry because things are being taken from them that shouldn't be taken from them. Angry because taxes are on them. They don't want... I mean, there's all kinds of reasons to nurture anger. You have a choice. You can be a person who grows to maturity with anger, worry, doubt, fear, wrong thinking, and then live it out. As you live it out, you will affect every person around you. You will pass on your vibes. You will mentor other people in the vain imaginations. You will teach them how to murmur. You will teach them how to complain. You will teach them how to criticize. You will teach them how to pick everything apart. You will teach them how to be cynical. You will teach them how to be a person who doesn't believe in anything. If you want to be that kind of a person, it's a wrong goal, wrong idea. I don't believe anybody listening to this message would say, that is exactly the kind of person I want to be. I want to make sure I pass on fear and worry and doubt and mentor people in vain imaginations and make them cynical, make them filled with all kinds of phobias. That's exactly what I want to be. I don't believe that, and I don't want you to have that. But the fact is, there's a pressure that is closing in around people. 
You can see it in their eyes and their faces and their questions. You can see it in life all around us. There's a, there's a certain bad feeling that something is really wrong. And it's coming to rest in the reality of my lifetime. There's something really wrong with the nations. There's something really wrong with diseases. There's something really wrong with this world economy. There's something going on that is really wrong. There's a lot of pressure that is coming against the mind and spirit of people to actually believe, all right, there is something really wrong. What do I do about it? You have a choice. You have a choice. A sense of drawing a line, taking a position of, no. Well, what are you saying no to? No way. Drawing a line. What are you drawing a line about? What, what really will you draw a line on? And when was the last time you drew a line on no more worry coming out of my mouth, my emotion? I am not going to let doubt rule me. I am not going to be this cynical, weird person I'm becoming. I am not going to be this professional murmurer that I've turned into. I am not going to paint this negative picture for everybody I talk with on the job, at the gas station, at the coffee shop. Just agreeing with everybody that there's something really wrong. Where do you draw the line? Where do you say, no more, no more, no more? Ephesians 4.27 has been my pilot verse. Give no opportunity to the devil, which again, I, I want to remind you, it's your responsibility. The opportunity that the devil will have to ruin you with doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, murmuring, complaining, cynical attitude, losing your ground, you give him opportunity. It says in the Bible, don't give the devil any chance, no foothold, no way, to defeat you. All right, we know that. We know we should do that. This is what I'm saying no to in this message. No to limiting my faith attitude. If there's any war that you're going to face in your lifetime and at times more than others, it's the war of faith. Faith, believing in something that's invisible. Faith, believing in something that other people already tear down. Faith to believe that even in hard times, the Bible works as well as it does in good times. Christianity has a way of forgetting the past. Christians have a way in America to think that Christianity is Americanism, globalism based on our capitalism, that according to the the way that we live, that's the way God is. And so we can go up and down with our faith, up and down with our emotion because we don't understand the Bible, don't understand God. And we can be pushed into a corner so quickly. Faith. What would crowd, punish, ruin, limit, shrink your faith? Today, I take my faith position standing strong on the Word of God. I'm making a choice. I resist all strategies of the enemy to limit my faith. I'm taking a no position on anything that would limit my faith. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. This scripture really paints a picture for me. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Well, it sounds like today. 
yet we're not crushed. Now, he's not a faith person that says, there are no problems, boys and girls. Everything is fine. That's not faith. That's foolishness. That's fantasy. That's not faith. Paul faces the situation and says, you know, we're hard-pressed. But we're not crushed. And then he uses a very important word. We're perplexed. Well, I'm perplexed. Perplexed is nothing is reasonable. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. I'm perplexed. I don't know how to think this through. The whole economy is a perplexing thing. The whole medical world is a perplexing thing. The moral world, there's a lot of perplexity around me. And Paul says, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. That is, I am not giving up. And I don't have uh, a dead end sign in front of me saying, it doesn't matter what you do because nothing's going to work anyway. I'm in despair. I just totally throw up my hands and say, it doesn't matter. I give up. Paul says, I'm not doing that. Now I am perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. This is a man of faith. We're often troubled, but not crushed. Sometimes in doubt, but never in despair. There are many enemies, but we are never without a friend. And though badly hurt at times, we are not destroyed. Take down four scriptures. First Timothy six and verse 12. Fight. Everyone say the word fight. Fight. Come on, everyone fight. Fight. The good fight of everyone say the word. I'm encouraging you today to fight the good fight of faith because your faith is going to be railed on, hammered on and pushed on in the days to come, maybe more than any other possession you have. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Second Timothy 2.18 Who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection has already passed. Notice the phraseology. And they have overthrown the faith of some. Overthrown. Upset. Turned over, defeated, bring to naught their faith. Overthrown. I can remember some times in my life when my faith was overthrown. My faith was pushed over the cliff. My faith was upset. My faith was pounded on enough so that I actually lost ground and gave in to a wavering doubt or a wavering lifestyle of doubt, not just one little thought that came through, but a whole series of thoughts that caused me actually to change my lifestyle so that I didn't have the same faith that I used to have. For me, it was the first time experiencing somebody that was prayed for to be healed who was a pastor friend who had a word he was healed and then he died of the disease he had. And I can remember as a 19-year-old young man going through a faith war. Didn't understand it. How can that happen? How can you trust? How can you believe? How could all of these people pray and fast so much? What about the prophecies and the words and the scriptures and the testimonies and and the dreams? and, And this is so confusing to me. I can remember so clearly 
having the feeling of being overthrown, moving along so strongly in my Christian faith to have something just come by and just knock me right off the path. And then for me to retreat a little bit and say, I'm not sure. I don't know. What if? I don't understand God. I certainly don't understand faith. I'm not sure I could ever pray for people. I'm not sure I believe in healing. I'm not sure God is involved in humanity this way. I'm not sure it's fair to people to tell them to hope when there is no hope. I went through all kinds of thoughts to have to gather myself up again and say, by the way, where does faith come from? What does the Bible say? How am I going to live my life with this kind of doubt, wavering, instability? I'm supposed to be a leader in training. I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to lay hands on people. I'm going to say to them that God can heal. God can provide. God can answer prayer. God is real. God is concerned with your life. God will open a door. God will close a door. God is watching over you every day. How am I going to say that if I don't believe it? I went through an overthrow. I had to back up, get my bearings, get back on track, and move ahead. Fight the good fight of faith. Because there will be all kinds of lying vanities, surprising experiences, unreasonable things that happen to good people, unexplainable, mysterious, deep things that take place in human lives. That if you don't get a handle on who God is, what the Bible says, and how you have a hold on faith, you'll be overthrown. And as soon as you start getting overthrown, all the demons of hell just pounce right on you. Immediately they start seeing that you start losing ground. And they pounce on you. And they start throwing the arrows and the spears and the darts of fear. It's going to happen to you. You're praying, but it won't be answered. You know God doesn't really answer those kind of prayers. And he just starts, and he starts condemning. And you know why that person had that happen? Because they had hidden sin in their life. Just like you do, bucko. You've got a bunch of hidden sin in your life. And as soon as God gets around to you, you're history. He's not going to help you because you are a problem to the kingdom of God anyway. You don't really pray enough. You don't give enough. You don't witness enough. You're not holy enough. You are the problem. And you start just, oh my God, I am too. I know it. Hope nobody else knows it. You've got to fight the good fight of faith and say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am washed. I am forgiven. I stand on good ground today. God is for me. I don't care who is against me. God does not judge me by my works or by my righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I stand in faith. If you don't get that, He'll beat you down so far. You won't pray. You won't expect. You won't go for anything. You'll hide out and lose ground. Overthrow the faith of some, not us. Second Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. Paul's last few verses ever written in his life on earth are these verses right here. 
Second Timothy's last book. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And this is certainly not just a small little testimonial scripture. It's quite a life of an apostle to say, and by the way, I kept the faith. By the way, nothing moved me away from my faith. I kept the faith. Yes, I was persecuted. Yes, I was perplexed. Yes, I had churches turn against me and government turn against me and I spent 14 years on the backside of the desert and many years in prison. Yes, I've been beaten, shipwrecked, and I've had a lot of weird things happen to me, but I'll tell you what, I still believe that God is God. He stands by me and I have never lost my faith. Here's a man that can say it. I have never, ever, except been slapped one time when I was witnessing to a, to a person I ticked him off by something I said. And, and they slapped me. Well, in those days, I was not spiritual enough to turn the other cheek. And so I grabbed him by his shirt. Now, don't do this when you witness to people. But this is years ago. I'm still a young man. He slapped me. So I grabbed him by the shirt. I had him against the wall. And I'm telling him, I said, listen, you know that I'm right. (laughs) I think back on that incident now, and I have to think all of heaven was filming. Boy, this guy really had, whoa, check this guy out. But can you imagine being beat, beat with 39 tribes in prison? Pull the hair out of your beard. I mean, Paul had suffered. He says, I haven't lost any faith. I've said no to everything that shrinks my faith. Now, I want to give you just in this particular message, just a couple more thoughts, because we're going to do some prayer and some ministry time. Faith declarations. I want you to take down some scriptures and I want you to understand a mystery of the kingdom of God. And it's one that works. And I made a choice years ago. I made a choice, which I'd like you to make. That I would not fill my mouth with the wrong words. I understood from experience as a young man that my words had something to do with my feelings. I'm not sure which came first, chicken or the egg, the attitude or the words, the feelings or the will. I'm not sure how it all worked together. At least I wasn't back then. I think I am now. But I noticed that my words could snare my emotions, that I actually snared myself into feeling something by what I said. And I noticed that my words would lead me and my emotions would follow. And as my emotions would follow, pretty soon my decisions and my will would follow. And I found myself being shaped by the words of my mouth. And I made a decision that I would change my attitude, change my words. I'd be careful in what I would predict about myself in what I would proclaim, how I would declare anything, I would begin to reel in my vocabulary 
so that I would say to people, and I would practice. I can remember so clearly doing this like a, a person who was a practitioner or, or experiments or a person who was a, a, a sociologist who was doing research on people. I remember so specifically how I would try this on people. I would begin to converse with them. And as soon as they let out the first negative thing, I would immediately counteract it with, but you know, God really does love that person and we shouldn't talk about him like that because there's probably some things going on you don't know about. That person would totally change, line up to a new thought and say, yeah, you're right. I really shouldn't say that. I said that. Let's not say that anymore. Okay, let's not say that anymore. Matter of fact, I really like that person and so do you. You know, I really do. And the whole, in five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, the whole atmosphere changes. Why? Your words are connected to a mysterious string in your heart. That's why it says in Romans 10 verse 9 and 10, that when you're saved, it says in the Bible, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. What an invisible, powerful, unbelievable principle to think that the words of a person's inner world being verbalized converts into an energy that spiritualizes it in such a way that you eternalize yourself by your words. Did you write that down? That's a pretty important point. That my words can actually put my spirit in a place that it wasn't in before. My words. As you are crowded with doubt, fear, worry about your home, about your business, about your job, about your future, about your body, about your education, about your relationships, about life around you. And then if you go way out there to governments and nations, and if you think about all that stuff, I want to give you some foundational things you should have in your spirit before something comes along and ruins your spirit. Here are some faith declarations I want you to make. Number one. A faith declaration is made when our heart and mouth agree together. And we speak God's word with the spirit of faith. A symphonet was the Greek word symphony where you agree. The agreement is what makes a harmony. The Greek word for agree is the word harmony. Symphony is the word symphony. It's where you bring things into harmony. There's something about agreement that brings harmony and disagreement that brings disharmony and fragmentation and division. And so if you want to bring a core unity to your life, if you want to have something inside of you that is harmonious, that is flowing together, that is not divided, why? A double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. Why? Because you have two souls. That's what the Greek says in James 1. It's a person with two souls. You have two minds. You have two sets of emotions. You have two sets of wills. And you keep going back and forth. An unstable man is a man who has developed two sets of souls. It's not so where the person understands what I'm talking about. You have a core being. And in your 
your core, you bring an agreement between the word and the spirit and your heart. You bring harmony into the core of your being. And when that harmony hits the core of your being, you have peace, you have joy, you have good decision making. You have a way to go through life without being double minded. You know exactly what you're doing because your core is established because you agree with the word of God. How does a person live by faith? They live by the word of God. Not by your feelings or your mind or what you think or how you interpret or how you want things to be. You live by the word of God. The Bible says God will never leave you or forsake you. Anybody tells you anything different is a lie. The Bible says that in Christ you have forgiveness. Anything different is a lie. The Bible says you have eternal life. If you know Christ, you have already set yourself up for eternity. You should have no fear about death, no fear about future. Because the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And the just shall have a brighter light as they walk in the ways of God. Favor and honor and goodness and blessing and the hand of God and the will of God. And God watches over you every hair of your Come on, if you believe the Bible, you should be shouting, yes, my life is protected. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, every lying vanity that comes your way through CNN or local news, newspaper, magazine, some kind of a counselor, some kind of a financial person who's analyzing everything, somebody that's telling you about your job and your business, and you won't even have a business. You won't even have a career in that area of industry in the next 10 years. It won't even exist. All your education will be for naught. You have been educated for something that is on its way out. If you believe That God doesn't know that. And then God has no answer for your problem. And God doesn't care about your job, your career, your house, your car, your body, or nothing else. And you're just kind of a person going through life, making the best you can. You're going to have worry and fear. But if you believe that God is in control of your life, And your steps are being ordered. And he answers prayer. He opens the door. And if this business shuts over here, God will put you into a different business that will be just as good and you will move forward. God is on your side. Who's been lying to you? Who's been setting you up to be filled with fear instead of faith? Who's been telling you that the economy is greater than God? Smarter than God? So complicated, God can't even enter into what's going on. No way. I say no to that. A faith declaration is when my heart agrees with my mouth. Deuteronomy 30.14, the word is very near you in your mouth. Deuteronomy 30.14. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, you better fill your heart with the right things. Joshua 1, 8, the book of the law shall not depart. Notice what it says, from your mouth. Joshua 1, 8 says it won't depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate it day and night, observe it, make your way prosperous. You will have good success, but it does not say people misquote Joshua 1, 8 by saying, and the word of the law shall be in your life, but not just in your life. It has to be in your mouth, in your mouth. 
You have to know the Bible, know the scripture, apply the word, write the scriptures out, put those scriptures on your life that you need right now, and then put them in your mouth and walk them out. 2 Corinthians 4.13, since we have the same spirit of faith, we do. According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. Number two, a faith declaration is made when we believe, declare, and stand on the absolute faithfulness of God's word. People make mistakes. People don't see everything right. But God doesn't make mistakes, and God sees everything. God does not lie. God's word is true. Hebrews 4.14, it says, Hold fast to your confession. Your confession should be whatever's in the book. Not what your friend said to you or anyone else. Go to the book. Luke 1.37, For with God nothing will be impossible. It's in my Bible. Therefore, I'm going to go for the gold. I'm going to believe that scripture is for me. There are some things that won't happen for me, but there's a lot more things that will happen for me if I believe that God can and God wants to and God can do the impossible. At least I will go for the impossible instead of just throwing it away and say, well, that will never happen. I take Luke 137 and I apply it to my life and say, nothing's impossible. Psalms 105 verse 8. He remembers his covenant to a thousand generations. Psalms 119 verse 160. The entirety of your word is true. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Number three, a faith declaration fixes the landmarks of my life, enlarging my inner man. The faith declaration fixes landmarks of my life, enlarging my inner man. First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10, the Jabaz book that was made famous worldwide. And it should have been because this is one of the most fantastic prayers of the Bible. A man who was born in sorrow and had a lot of limitations around his life broke out with a prayer and a declaration. First Chronicles 4, 9. And Jabaz says, you know what, God? I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to enlarge my borders. I want you to bless me. I want you to protect me and keep me all the days of my life. I want you to give me an inheritance. God says, you know what? That's a great prayer. I'm going to enlarge your borders. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to put favor on you. Number four, a faith declaration is sowing a word seed. That will bring a harvest. When I pray, I sow seed. When I declare, I sow seed. God's hand is on my life. That's a seed I'm sowing. I quote the scriptures. God builds a hedge around me. That's a scripture. I sow the seed. God is able to favor and bless our church. God is able to enlarge us. It doesn't matter what economy we're in. I've always preached that. always taught that. And I've been in, and over the 30 years, we've been doing ministry a few very, very bad economies. I've never let that which is outside pressed me inside to shrink the vision and shrink the faith so that we wouldn't do anything. Can't happen. There's more churches to build. There's more orphans to take care of, more widows to take care of. There's more missionaries to send. There's more things to do. There's a reason for me not to lose faith. There's a reason for our church not to shrink back. There's a reason for business people to get into a spirit of faith and not allow what is out there to so shrink your mind that you can't even think right 
about your business. You can't even think right about your job. You can't think right about your money. You're so filled with everyone else's thought. I want you to draw a line, get under the canopy of God's presence, clean out your mind, and allow the Holy Spirit to put into you a healthy spirit of faith. Spirit of faith. Luke 8 and verse 11. The seed is the word. Isaiah 30, 23 says, And he'll give rain for your seed which you sow in the ground and the bread of increase will come. Number five, the faith declaration is building up your spirit. Building up our spirit and our faith to a higher level. Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. Jude verse 20 says, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. You can build up your faith. The Bible says your faith can grow. The Bible also talks about categories of faith. The Bible talks about those who have weak faith. The Bible talks about those who have little faith. The Bible talks about those who have great faith. The Bible talks about those whose faith is growing exceedingly. Wherever you're at in your faith level today, I want to tell you right now, you can change it. You can grow in your faith. You can add to your faith. You can get out of an attitude of unbelief and doubt and worry. And before you know it, in 24 hours, if you'll meditate on the scriptures I've given you and all the scriptures of the Bible, if you'll write yourself some declarations, fill your mouth with the right word, change your spiritual atmosphere and attitude inside of your spirit, before you know it, your faith will begin to grow and you'll find yourself saying things you would not have said 24 hours ago. And as you say it, your spirit pounces on it. If you say, but God can, the Holy Spirit inside of you will leap up and say, that's right. And you know, God is good. Mm, yes. And God's hand is on my life. That's what the Bible says. Your spirit will start reaching out to those words and agree with your heart and that chemistry thing will start moving around inside of you and before you know it, you will cover yourself with an atmosphere of faith. People will say, well, what happened to you? What do you mean? Well, you just seem so much more positive. Of course I'm positive. I serve a living, real God. Why wouldn't I be positive? Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff. Of course, there's always been a lot of stuff. There will always be a lot of stuff. But I do believe there's someone in control of all this. We're not just a clock wound up, thrown to the cosmos, and beaten off our little cliffs until we explode. No way. We have a creator. We have a governor. We have a God. He knows exactly what's going on. And I'm at peace with my living God. What about you? 